welcome to the Jewish Lives Podcast, a monthly show by Jewish Lives, the prize-winning biography series published by Yale University Press and the Leon D. Black Foundation. I'm your host, Alessandra Wallner. In each episode, we explore the life and legacy of an influential Jewish figure. Today, we're looking at the legendary comedian, Groucho Marx. In the second part of the show, I'll sit down with Lee Siegel, author of the Jewish Lives biography, Groucho Marx, The Comedy of Existence. If you like what you hear, rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a friendly review. Thank you so much in advance. You can learn more about our books at jewishlives.org. Join us as we explore the Jewish experience together. We are pleased to announce the 2024 Jewish Lives Prize, an essay contest open to high school students across the U.S., with the chance to win up to $1,000 in prizes. This year's essay prompt is, What is a Jewish book? And which Jewish book is your favorite and why? Submission deadline is December 15th, 2023. You can learn more about the Jewish Lives Prize at jewishlives.org. Please share this opportunity with the educators and high school students in your life. I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? Why, I've never been so insulted in my life. Well, it's early yet. One of them goes around with a black mustache. So do I. If I had my choice, I'd go around with a little blonde. So, you didn't think I was a real detective, eh? Uh, If you're a detective, I'm a monkey's uncle. Keep your family out of this. If there was anyone who could deliver a one-liner, it was Julius... Henry Marx, the comedian known to the world as Groucho. Groucho Marx left an indelible mark on entertainment with his wit, humor, and outrageous irreverence. Born in 1890 in New York City, Groucho, along with his three brothers, Chico, Harpo, and Zeppo, would go on to become an outsized figure in American popular culture. Groucho was known for his trademark mustache, cigar, and lightning-quick repartee. He achieved fame as the leader of the Marx Brothers comedy team, with the brothers making their mark first in vaudeville, then on Broadway, and finally on the silver screen. The Marx Brothers brand of comedy was characterized by its absurdity, fast wordplay, and contempt for all forms of authority. I suggest that we give him 10 years in Leavenworth or 11 years in 12 words. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take five and ten in Woolworth. Films like Duck Soup and Horse Feathers showcase Groucho's unprecedented and confrontational comedic style. Will you marry me? Did he leave you any money? Answer the second question first. He left me his entire fortune. Is that so? Can't you see what I'm trying to tell you? I love you. Despite a lack of formal education, Groucho had a voracious intellect. He was a prolific writer, authoring several books, including Groucho and Me and Memoirs of a Mangy Lover. His sharp tongue is evident in his books, where he continued to entertain and provoke. Groucho's comedic legacy can be traced down in the subversive routines performed by greats like Lenny Bruce, Robin Williams, Margaret Cho, Sarah Silverman, and so many more. Tell me, Mr. Chandler, where are you planning on putting your new opera house? Oh, I thought I should like to put it somewhere near Central Park. I see. Why don't you put it right in Central Park? Could we do that? Sure, do it at night when no one is looking. Discover the first biography of Groucho Marx to approach his work analytically in Groucho Marx, The Comedy of Existence by Lee Siegel. This fascinating study draws unique connections between Groucho's comedy and his life, 
concentrating primarily on the brothers' classic films to understand and appreciate this legendary comedian. Save 25% for a limited time only. Use code GROUCHO at checkout only at jewishlives.org. Lee Siegel is the author of seven books and numerous articles. He's a professor at Columbia University School of the Arts and a cultural critic. Lee Siegel, welcome to the Jewish Lives podcast. Great to be here. Let's start off with a passage that really evokes Groucho. Does one come to mind? Well, I I, I don't really have uh, the book in mind, uh, but I, I can say the exchange in one of his movies that evokes him best for me, I'm just paraphrasing here, but when uh, Mrs. Rittenhouse says to him, Mr. Spaulding, you stand before me as one of the greatest men of all time. And he says, all right, I'll do that. <laughs> what about that feels like him? Well, because he's he's taking language and standing language on its head. You know, she has she has the conventional meaning of stand before me, you, you know, uh, as one of the greatest meaning you know, in, in the figurative sense. And he he literally does it. So his entire life and as well as brothers as well uh, was devoted to the popular term deconstructing conventional sentiments, exploding the world around him, really. And you describe his humor in the book with a phrase, a richness born of deficiency. What were you getting at with that turn of phrase? You know, he 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 grew up uh, not not in a Jewish slum. In fact, he didn't grow up in the uh, Lower East Side. The Marx Brothers grew up uh, in Yorkville, in the Upper East Side. Uh, but he he grew up in a big family. Uh, he was kind of pushed to the side by by more aggressive and louder siblings. Uh, the, the the family did not have a lot of money. The parents were vaudevillians, which is sort of at the lower end uh, of the social scale. Uh, so he had these class injuries from the beginning. And I, I was thinking of W.H. Auden's great line about Yeats that mad Ireland hurt him into poetry. You know, uh, so so much of art, and especially when it comes to comedians, comes out of a wound, you know. And he's probably the only Jewish son in history whose mother said, don't be a doctor. I want you to go into show business. Probably some mother said, don't be a doctor, be a lawyer. Uh, but it's true. He... he uh, he was showing some promise uh, as a as a possible physician, and she saw more more money in him joining the uh, the family in Vaudeville. So he is the most famous of his many brothers, but he worked with them for much of his career. I'm curious how you describe their dynamic as performers together. Yeah, well, interestingly, they all got along. I mean, eventually they ditched Zeppo. He didn't seem to to add a lot to the foursome. So then it became the, the you know the 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 three, uh, the the Christian Trinity, the Freudian tripartite ego, whatever you want to call it. The three brothers. They're they're mythic. They're like something out of a Beckett play. Their personalities and their roles were so distinct from from each other. Can you tell us a little bit about those various roles they played within their triad? Right. Uh, Groucho, uh, let, let me rely on on a, a retrograde uh, Freudian paradigm. Groucho was some sort of the ego. You know, he, he was very verbal, very literary. Uh, supposedly, the New York wits like Alexander Walcott cherished him. Not sure that they did. They said they did. William F. Buckley had him on firing line. You know, he was, he was very, very well spoken. 
Chico, Chico didn't, you know, he 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 was not very well spoken. He was the rogue. He was a gambler. He was a womanizer. Groucho, for all his 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 womanizing persona, uh, which was real, it was a misogynistic persona. Uh, he was nothing in, in terms of of the accelerated pace of romantic involvement. If I can use a euphemism, was nothing like Chico. He was called Chico because he chased chicks. It's not Chico. It's Chico. Uh, Har- Harpo was uh, though he though he could speak in real life. Uh, he was really very very passive. Uh, I think one of the traumatizing events in his life, which his biographers always played for laughs. You know, there was this. Among the biographers, there's 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 this tendency to treat the Marx brothers in a comical way because they were comedians. But there's nothing very, nothing very comical about their lives. You know, there's nothing very comical about Groucho catching gonorrhea when he was 15 uh, from a prostitute, which a condition with, which, which tormented him uh, all his life. Uh, so uh, Harpo was thrown out of a public school window by a bunch of bullies when he was in grade school. I, I forget what grade he was in, very fourth grade or something like that, thrown out of out a window. So he wasn't hospitalized or anything, but he was hurt and he was traumatized. Uh, and he was a fairly kind of a, you know, passive guy. So you had, you had the aggressive Chico, you had the passive Harpo, and you had the more or less civilized Groucho, you know, not, not passive by any means, but certainly not a, not a rogue. And you mentioned how Chico got his nickname. How did the others get theirs? It's not clear. It's either a reference to a kind of pouch, Groucho, that performers in vaudeville kept their money in, uh, or it has the obvious meaning of grouchy, Groucho. Uh, and uh, Harpo, you know, he played the harp. In the book, you describe the comedy of Groucho as humor that's not always funny. Can you explain a little bit more of what that means? Yes, this this made a lot of readers furious because everyone felt very comfortable with their conception of of the Marx Brothers as being hilarious, uh, even though their movies now are are you know, fairly dated. They're not always funny, and even then, they were not funny per se. They're they're very dark, very nihilistic. Uh, the, the program is really to undercut anyone who has the slightest power, no matter how legitimate, over you. And, and especially women. They were thoroughgoing misogynists. The, the humor is, is is relentlessly misogynistic. Difficult to listen to sometimes. This slapstick meets commentary. What about that was so resonant for people? You know, after the war, it, it, the, the style was popular because the war was a great democratizer. Uh, but just by bringing all the classes together, after throwing them together, uh, many of the barriers to classes came down. Uh, from all different races and religions and classes fought and died uh, alongside each other uh, in the Second World War. This this Jacksonian, uh, you know, chaos, in a sense, after the war was very, very suited to their style because, you know, people would come home from work and and think, uh, my boy was a real jerk, my boss. And this other guy, you know, who, who, who might be followed by an ethnic slur or worse, this other guy, you know, he's he's this and he's that. So, you know, people were finding themselves thrown into situations with people more different from them than ever before. And so this kind of aggression uh, that, the, that the Marx Brothers projected way out in the open was very much the, the sort of brio uh, and energy that was prevalent after the war. Well, speaking of identity, let's talk about the main event here. 
You include a quote in the book from Groucho where he says, we Marx brothers never denied our Jewishness. We simply didn't use it. And yet somehow his comedy did become synonymous with Jewish humor. So how'd that work? You know, there's absolutely nothing Jewish about the Marx brothers. To the extent that people call them Jewish, it becomes uncomfortable because that perception draws from some, you know, anti-Semitic tropes. That uh, Groucho's getup, you know, the bushy eyebrows, the prominent nose, the abrasive, citified uh, hustle and bustle, uh, the almost lawyerly shrewdness of a lot of the repartee, where Groucho's constantly getting the, the better of Margaret Dumont, his foil, you know. People associated that with being Jewish, <laughs> it, it, especially the sort of shrewd undermining of convention, which after all, after all, is the great thrust of American popular culture. And you mentioned earlier that he was very well-spoken and also that he wanted to pursue a education and wasn't allowed. But throughout his life, he remained very interested in intellectual pursuits and literary life. Can you tell us a little bit more about that side of him? Groucho, he wanted to be a writer, and he published quite a few books. He was, uh, a, a, you know, a literary fellow. He, he was well-read. He didn't really even want to be regarded as a as, as a comedian. Uh, but then again, if you've ever met an actor, they, they don't want to be regarded as actors. And I, I think Groucho was kind of like, he was talking to William F. Buckley, and Buckley he made some quip that I guess touched on social conditions. And Groucho said, you know, there's nothing funny about this world. This world is sad. People don't have enough money to eat to put a roof over their head. And that's a literary thing to say. You know, that's not an entertaining thing to say. And so I, I, I think that this, sometimes the darkness that made so many of his routines uh, nihilistic and unforgettable because of that. When I'm say, saying that, that, that they're not funny, I mean that they go beyond humor to something much, much more fantastic. The nihilism and the darkness, that's from the literary side of him. That's very restless uh, with the idea of simply being an entertainer. So to send us back out into the cruel world, one last question. If you could speak to Groucho Marx, is there anything that you would ask him or that you'd want to say? Huh. Uh, gosh, I, I don't know. You know, I, I've been in the presence of, you know, immortals, a handful like Groucho, and I'm just kind of speechless because everything's there in their work. I guess I'd probably ask him why why he decided to live in Great Neck for the schools, right? But he didn't have any school-aged children. So <laughs> that, was the, that would be the big question. Well, thank you, Lee Siegel, for talking with me about your book, Groucho Marx, The Comedy of Existence. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. The Jewish Lives Podcast is made possible by the Leon D. Black Foundation. Special thanks to our partners at Yale University Press, the Jewish Lives Editorial Director, Eileen Smith, series editors, Anita Shapira and Stephen J. Zipperstein, Managing Director, Rebecca Keyes, and to Linda Brennan and Ruby Elliott Zuckerman. The Jewish Lives Podcast is hosted and produced by me, Alessandra Walner. Our music is composed by Barry J. Cohen. <laughs>